CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to ETF Edge, the podcast. If you're looking to learn the latest insights on all things exchange-traded funds, you're in the right place. Every week, we're bringing you interviews, market analysis, and we're breaking down what it all means for investors. I'm your host, Bob Pisani. Today on the show, we'll talk about how the ETF business continues to take off and drill down on what's behind the thematic success of one actively managed fund in particular. Here's my conversation with Reggie Brown, principal of GTS Securities, Renato Leggi, client portfolio manager at ARK Investment, and Harry Witten, head of ETF sales and trading at Old Mission. Reggie, let me start with you. Gold's hitting all-time highs. Silver's hitting new highs as well. Big inflows into those large gold ETFs, even the stock uh, ETFs around gold uh, and silver. What's driving the interest? Is this just a, a weak dollar story? Is it a sluggish growth story? Is it an inflation worry story? Is it all of the above? What, what's moving gold so much in the last month? Uh, hey, Bob. Thanks for having me on again. I think it's all the above plus an additional one. So we heard earlier uh, one of your panelists say that the dollar is hitting a two-year low. Um, that means that the real interest rates are, are plummeting and there's no risk for uh, for, uh, for interest rate risk. And I think uh, with the central banks around the world, you know, with quantitative easing and, and printing of, of new currency to support some of the coronavirus rescue measures, um, you know, the, you know, I think we're seeing weak currencies across the board. But look, I, I think the, the biggest story here, I think uh, you're seeing greater adoption of commodities, and particularly gold and silver, being put into asset allocation models. And I think that's, you know, a new trend that we're seeing that's driving also the price of gold. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Harry, you, you see a lot of trading. You, you uh, specialize in trading and the uh, being a broker in the ETF business here, uh, even silver's rallying, the gold stocks rallying uh, as well. I know silver has, you know, components of both industrial and a precious metal. Precious metal, not exactly the same dynamics of gold, but very, very similar. Um, uh, can you explain precious metals as well as silver for the same dynamics as gold? Yeah, I mean, it's you look at the metals that it's just been in the last, specifically silver, the last couple of weeks, uh, been going up to, um, you know non-stop uh, creation units in the in the ETFs, record volumes. Um, I'm not sure if you saw this, Bob, but just last week, gold, GLD, IAU, and then SLV Silver uh, were three of the top five for inflows out of all ETFs in the industry. So it's uh, being looked at by a lot of people. Um, and there's more opportunity, uh, people think, in silver. They think gold has run up a little bit higher. It's hitting all-time numbers where silver is it's still way off its all-time high. Uh, so I think people think it has more room to run. Yeah. H Harry, o Old Mission specializes in ETF trading and, and brokerage. That's what you guys do. Just generically, what kind of trading activity have you seen in the last few months? We've seen elevated equity trading volumes, elevated option and futures trading volume a little bit, not as much in July as there has been perhaps in April and May. But what are you seeing in terms of ETF trading? Well, lately, um, you know, we have seen more equity volume probably over the last month or so. But if you go back all the way back to when the pandemic started, bonds have really been the king. 
uh, more money has gone into bond funds than any other asset class in ETFs. Uh, bond funds have done 85 billion in the second quarter versus equity funds 20 billion in inflows. So it's really been uh, that's been the focus of what's been going on out there. I do know BlackRock last week just put out a number where they traded 5.1 trillion during the first half of the year, which is a record for them. So regardless of the product, you're seeing just record volumes all across the place. And if you really want to look down, something I found interesting, if you look at the top 10 year over year, last year's top 10, to be in the top 10, you needed to do at least a billion in net inflows. This year, the number 10 firm, which right now is Invesco, uh, they've done over 3.5 billion. So the, just the growth of ETFs yeah. and the actual trading volume yeah. of ETFs, how it's do, just how do you huge. How do you explain the growth of the bond ETFs. I, I find a hard time with it. I mean, we're hitting new highs today on the corporate bond ETF, the main one, uh, LQD. Um, AGG, the broadest bond ETF I think you can own out there, is also at a new high. And we're getting ridiculously low yields on any of these. Uh, is it because comparatively we still have yields and the rest of the world basically doesn't? Uh, it's. It, I get this question all day long about the volumes in these things. And the fact that uh, it can't just be that the government is buying corporate bonds. It's broader than that, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the government actually has stopped buying the ETFs, at least they said they have, uh, and they've released those numbers. You haven't seen them really grow that much. But the you know AGG is closing in on $80 billion of assets under management. It's, it's, it's amazing. Not only is it higher than before the pandemic, uh, and it's at a record high. People are yield searching. Yeah. You know, another product that's out there yield searching are, you know, BlackRock and iShares have the bullet share. Uh, BlackRock has the bullet, the I bonds, and yeah. Invesco has the bullet shares, which are, you know, maturity funds where they yeah. can build a ladder portfolio. And those, those are seeing record inflows also. Yeah. Um, uh, Renato, I haven't gotten to you yet, but let me, let me turn to you. It's amazing to me to watch the ETF business keep growing here. We, we follow the quarterly and uh, first half numbers here. Doug Jonas over at the NYSE put out his first half numbers here. Uh, 2,639 ETFs, $4.3 trillion in assets under management. Um, and he says 2020 is the year of active management. And uh, we have 56 actively managed ETFs that have come to market this year. Uh, that's nearly half of all the launches. I've never seen that before. And of course, ARK Invest, you're sort of the leader in the active space, at least active equity space. I, I is it too much to say you're the success story in active equity management this year? That ARK Innovation ETF you've got, ARKK, uh, it's nearly $6 billion in assets. Um, what do you attribute the success here? Is it you guys are a bunch of geniuses, you and Kathy Woods over there? Or is this the year for active management? Or is it the right kind of selection? What's, what's, why are you particularly successful versus everybody else? Hi, Bob. It, it's great to speak with you. Uh, we, we've had record-breaking inflows into our actively managed ETF so far this year, and ARC now has 40% market share of all the actively managed uh, equity ETF, which suggests that investors want more than just active management. They want exposure to innovation. And as you know, Bob, we're focused on five innovation platforms, uh, DNA sequencing, robotics, energy storage, artificial intelligence, and blockchain technology all of which we believe will create multi-trillion dollar opportunities over the next 10 to 15 years. And these disruptive technologies are experiencing an acceleration in adoption 
um, in this current environment. And the companies within our ETFs are gaining significant market share uh, and outperforming the broader market. So uh, the disruption that's caused by these innovative companies like Tesla and Square are making it uh, critical for investors to allocate to innovation in their portfolios. And we, we see this is just the beginning of this trend. But it's no secret, Renato, that the reason ARK has been, the ARKK, your innovation ETF, has been so successful this year is you have a really big bet on Tesla. It's, what, 10% of the fund, essentially? You have very concentrated bets. So w w the question is this. Number one, you made a the right guess on Tesla. Had you not, you wouldn't have been up nearly as much. But I think on a broader question, do you think investors want these kinds of concentrated bets? It seems like they actually do. There you see, look, there's 10% on Tesla and Invitae and Square and CRISPR and Roku are very significant holdings as well. But this is a pretty concentrated portfolio. Is, is that what investors want? Reggie, let me ask you, do you, I mean, do you get this sense of active management that, that they'll be successful if they make these kinds of concentrated bets and they live and die on whether they're right or not, Reggie? Well, I think there's always a room for active management, particularly in um, in an ETF format. You look at all the non-transparent ETFs that are brought to the marketplace recently. I think there's six of them, um, or five or six. You know, I, I think they're picking up speed. Uh, there's always room for for active management, and particularly when markets reverse, and I think you start seeing the views of the active manager um, uh, present alpha, I think you know, you'll see a difference between active and passive. So just because ETFs are here does not mean that active goes away. Yeah. But Harry, we get back to this old question. I know this is a older than you and me, but is there really any evidence that active management outperforms passive management? I don't see it. Um, not Certainly not in the long run. Vanguard was practically founded on this idea that it can't be done. It's it's wonderful that, you know, Kathy and Renato are doing so well over at, at ARC on a concentrated bet, but they they are a very small group of winners there. Harry? Yeah, very true, Bob. It's, you know, the story has been for years how passive has outperformed active. And uh, I, I, I like the ARC story. I've been following it for years. And I think others are going to come and they're also following ARC. I know as a market maker, we get asked a lot of questions by uh, existing issuers and new issuers, and they're all talking about ARC and what they're doing. And I think you're going to see more active managers come, and we're going to get to see. We're going to see if they really can do it going head-to-head. -head. You know, they haven't, they've been shying away yeah. from the ETF uh, platforms. Right. And so the secret here, Renato, is, is really you have hit upon the right methodology for the, for the times, disruptive technologies that are altering the way we work. We now have a pandemic that is accelerating the way we work that are benefiting the specific stocks that we had talked about as just what we broadly call disruptive technologies. Um, uh, so you're picking stuff in a growth area with a lot of disruption that's changing the way we work and live. I guess that makes a lot of sense. If you were working in another space, defensive or industrials, it might be a little harder to do that kind of outperformance that you, you're seeing here with, with your funds right now. Or am I, Is that a fair way to characterize this, Renato? Yes, absolutely. I mean, we're, we're focused on the transformational technologies that are disrupting and disintermediating existing sectors and industries that, that make up some of the ones that you just mentioned. Um, and they dominate these broader-based indices like, like the S&P 500 uh, and both investors have exposure to, you know, those broader-based indices. So this is providing kind of a, a, your forward-looking exposure 
you know, the names, you know, we have zero FANG exposure right now in our portfolio. Um, these are the next group of FANG stocks we believe that will be part of, of the broader base indices. And it also serves as kind of a hedge against the potential disruption happening in, in those core portfolios. Yeah. The other thing I note is you really are a little unusual in that you're, you're the, far and away the largest actively managed equity ETF. Uh, I guess the question here, and anybody can handle this, why is there so much more active management? We have you know, ETFs like Mint out there, and the JP Morgan one's pretty big. But why is there so many more active managed bond ETFs than stock ETFs? Is it, or is that about to change dramatically this year? Is it just harder to pick stocks than it is to pick bonds? Yeah, this is Renato. I'll comment on the non-transparent active ETF. You know, that's where we're seeing a big push on the equity side. And, you know, we're fully transparent, but uh, we think that asset managers that are coming on board and bringing those ETFs um, to market are actually educating the market on how investors can, can buy these actively managed strategies in a more kind of tax-efficient and, and lower-cost wrapper compared to mutual funds. So we think this will help accelerate kind of the transition uh, away from active mutual funds to active ETFs. Well, Bob, if I can jump in, I think uh, investors um, just w would like to just have the opportunity to pick the vehicle of choice, and the managers are going to you know, deliver their views, whether it's for a 40-act open-ended mutual fund or an ETF. You know, investors will have the, the, the choice vehicle to utilize. So I, I think that you always have the, the room to bring active management equity into the marketplace, and then that's what's been traditionally. ETFs are just catching up to it from uh, from equity standpoint. So I think you'll see a lot of growth in the active equity space utilizing either a transparent vehicle to deliver those views or a non-transparent view uh, over the next, call it, you know, 18 months or so. Yeah. How are you going to have the last word here? Do you, you I, I gather you too feel that active equity is finally here to stay. I guess... The problem I have is very simple. If you're a, a mediocre active manager in a mutual fund wrapper, you're not suddenly going to become a genius by suddenly throwing it into an ETF wrapper. You may charge lower fees. You may have a more tax efficient structure. Um, even if it's non-transparent, though, it's not going to turn you into some kind of genius. That's my concern. Uh, ARC would be successful in a mutual fund uh, platform because of the space that they're in and perhaps their methodology. But uh, would you agree, Harry, that just switching to an e a, a, a active non-transparent ETF wrapper isn't going to change anybody's, you know, uh, track record? You're, you're dead on, Bob. It's whether it's active, non-transparent or active, transparent, uh, you still have to perform. And you still, if you're going to be active, you're going to have to pick the right stocks. You're going to have to trade them properly. Uh, and you know, that's the big difference. So as I said before, uh, if they're going to come out with an ETF and they think they can do better in ETF at wrapper, well, they're still going to have to prove it. And it'll be, it'll be great to watch, and it's going to be good for the ETF industry uh, because uh, more and more people are going to get into it, and it's going to be a lot more visible. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with that, Harry. Okay, thanks very much, guys. Now it's time to round out the conversation with some analysis and perspective to help you better understand ETFs with our Markets 102 portion of the podcast. Today we'll dive a little deeper into the world of active ETFs. My producer, Kirsten Chang, joins me. 
what are the key characteristics of an active ETF besides having to disclose their holdings on a daily basis? Are those expense ratios typically higher because they require more bandwidth on the fund manager's part? You know, we've talked about this before, Kirsten. The, the key characteristic of uh, actively managed ETF is the manager or the team is making active stock picking decisions. What's that means? It means they're not relying on a, a, a passive investment strategy. They may be benchmarked to some bogey like the S&P 500, but they're not trying to track it. They're trying to outperform it. And they have to pick stocks in some combination to do that. They can weight them in different ways. Uh, they can have a very broad portfolio that may have hundreds of stocks in it. Or, and we saw this in the case of ARK Investing, they may have a very concentrated portfolio with really essentially only about a dozen stocks or even less in them and essentially bet that a few big names are going to win the day for them, which is what happened with ARK Investing today, ARKK. That stock's been phenomenally successful. That ETF, I should say, has been phenomenally successful, up 60% uh, this year, primarily because they have a huge bet on a single stock, and that's Tesla. And they won big on that. Tesla's about 10% of the portfolio. And the other, there's four or five other stocks that are 6 or 7% of the portfolio. So, you know, you have you know, five stocks, essentially, uh, that are 40 to 50% of that portfolio. And because they picked the right name this year, Tesla, that stock, that ETF, excuse me, has done very well and attracted a lot of money. But that's the downside of this thing, if you look at it. Had Tesla not been a big winner, they would not be nearly performing as well. They certainly wouldn't be up 60%. And they likely would not have attracted as much money. The other issue uh, you have here is this whole question of uh, the fees that are charged. Generally, actively managed mutual funds and actively managed ETFs charge higher fees. So ARK, for example, the, the ARK Innovation Fund, A-R-K-K is the symbol, uh, charges 0.75%. Now, historically, if you were an actively traded mutual fund, um, actively managed mutual fund, that's not very high. Actively managed mutual funds often charge 100 to 200 basis points. That's 1% to 2%. But 0.75% is fairly high for an, for an ETF. And of course, the idea here is they have higher costs associated with the fact that they have more people working. They're not trying to just stay with an index. They're trying to pick funds. And that, of course, requires more research and more people. So, Bob, today on the show, you talked about the rise of active management. Now, we heard Doug Jonas of the New York Stock Exchange say 2020 is looking like the year of active management, but are the returns there to back that up? How have they done so far this year? The problem with talking about returns of active management for equity ETFs is there aren't many of them at all. In fact, the ARK Innovation Fund, we keep talking about ARKK, is far and away the biggest one that's out there. It's almost $6 billion in assets under management. That's far and away the biggest actively managed stock ETF that's out there. Uh, they were successful because they made a very big outside bet, as I said, on one stock, but particularly one particular sector, uh, what you would call disruptive technologies, where they feel that the growth is occurring and they feel they can get uh, the most outperformance. So they're essentially buying very extreme growth parts of the business, uh, of the market. Uh, Invitae, for example, another big holding that they have, uh, very big in the medical space. Square does payment processing, CRISPR technology and biotechnology. Roku, 
uh, big, of course, in deciding uh, what you want to watch on television as a platform there. So that happens to be a successful paradigm this year. <coughs> Pardon me, but it may not be every year. As for whether or not they outperform or don't, well, this year, ARC did outperform. But overall, active stock pickers historically underperformed their bogeys. The evidence is overwhelming. This was one of Jack Bogle's principal thesis is when he was at Vanguard. Bogle saw very early on, decades ago, when he was running Vanguard, that the average fund manager does not outperform their bogey, that it is difficult and almost impossible for an active fund manager to consistently outperform year after year. They might outperform one year or two years, but when you get beyond three and certainly five years, very few actively outperform. It's just really hard to predict the future. You might think so, but you can't. So Bogle founded Vanguard largely around the idea of passive investing and particularly buying into the S&P 500. He had active managers. They were very good. He had Wellington. Some of them were excellent. Um, but by and large, his point was keep the cost down. Even active managers, he noted, tend to underperform because they charge too much for their services. So even ones that are good, the amount they charge, that 1% or 2% more over years, makes them underperform their bogeys. So if you can find good active management, keep the fees low. That's kind of like the Vanguard secret. Jack was not against active management. He just felt it was really hard to do. And for most people, passive investing and staying with indexes was the way to go. And indeed, Harry Witten, and when I talked about this on the podcast, on the show this today, about the fact that most of these active managers don't underperform. So remember, just because you're a mutual fund active stock picker, you're not going to suddenly turn into a genius turning it into an ETF platform. I'd be very, very careful. If you've got one that you think does outperform and they're charging a lower fee in, a, in an ETF wrapper than in a mutual fund wrapper, well, heck yes, go with that person. But otherwise, don't go switching to active management just because it's in an ETF wrapper. That's a sure way to lose money in the long term. That's it for today. I'm Bob Bazzani. Thank you for listening. And make sure you tune in next week. And in the meantime, you can tweet us your questions or topic ideas at ETF Edge CNBC. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts.